What you have to ask yourself is what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs, sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? Or look at the question this way. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? You can't, you gotta be, oh, come on. Let's go, let's go, let's hey, go. Take the starts from, it starts take from the, the top, buddy. Take the off. I was perfect. Yeah, no, take oh. the tinfoil off. Wow, you were, by, by you saying you were perfect, you're not perfect. Yo, right. your tinfoil is going into your face now. Like, it's you do need to say now. second episode, like Sean, so good job, good catch. Let's try it again. Welcome to the second episode of season four of Three and a Half Gentlemen, the podcast where three of the four hosts provide a refined and intellectual analysis of moves from our private collections while one of us tries desperately to keep up. We'll let you decide which host is which, but for now, my name is Sean, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts coming out of the corn, Jeremiah. Coming out of the cornfield? What up, what up yo? <laughs> Eddie? That water tastes funny. It's contaminated. And Brandon. Swing away, Ed. Swing away. I have the full effect, guys. I have my dogs in the background barking for this episode, okay? So uh, so with season four, we are turning the form with, from season one. Instead of picking movies in, the, in a specific genre, we are each picking movies that we just want to talk about. That said, after choosing the movies for the seasons, we have grouped them into specific uh you know, categories, whether it'll be influential directors or mysteries or blockbusters and beyond. Throughout the season, we'll be uh, including some new releases in theaters and streaming, as well as a TV season or two. As with every review we give, our goal is to answer one simple question. How many drinks does it take to get through the film we've just watched? Now, at the end of the podcast, we'll rate the movie or series based on a scale of zero to five. Zero being the perfect film that you can watch so cold sober. And five being the sort of the film that makes you want to stick your hand underneath a pantry door just to have an ex-minister cut off a few of your fingers and then be killed by water poisoning later on. Is it contaminated? <laughs> Eddie, sh- God, just Eddie, get, get the tinfoil off your head. With that, what movie do we have? Uh, what movie do we have jump scaring us this evening, gentlemen? Well, tonight we have 2002 alien invasion drama Signs, which was written and directed by the divisive M. Night Shyamalan. Following the traumatic death of Ooh, his wife. Are we going to call him divisive? Oh, he's divisive as fuck. You either love him or you hate him. Oh, you okay. hate him or you love him. You All hate right. him or you love him. I, that's why he's I wrote hot divisive. or he's cold. He's, he's yes and he's no. He's, he's no. He's, he's in or he's out. He's like Katy Perry. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Following the traumatic death of his wife, Minister Graham Hess loses his faith and turns his focus to raising his son and daughter on their Pennsylvania farm. Joined by his brother, ex-minor league baseball player Merrill, Graham's life is turned upside down when a mysterious crop circle appears in the cornfield. Over the next few days, the mystery of the crop circle unfolds as the family finds themselves fighting for their lives against a violent alien invasion. Signs stars Mel Gibson, Joaquin Phoenix, Kevin McAllister's real-life brother, and Abigail Breslin. This film has an IMDb rating of 6.8 out of 10 and has a critic score of 75% and an audience score of 67% respectively on Rotten Tomatoes. That's Roy Culkin, by the way. I think it's kind of low. 
Yeah, here, here Rory Culkin, that's right. Here, here's what's interesting about this this film is we could have gone with something like Six um, Sense, uh, well, Six Sense, uh, or The Village, which I think both probably have higher ratings. But mm. I will say that this movie, in my opinion, is the more iconic M Night Shyamalan. Which I, maybe I'm wrong, but it, it signs just feels like like it was at his peak when he was just at his absolute peak. Yeah. So you guys don't like The Last Airbender? No? You guys not picking that one up? Or After Earth? Yeah. As with every as with every movie review, we try to pair our selection with a cocktail that we feel will reflect the film's uh, essence. So, Ed, why don't you uh, take us through the tonight's cocktail uh, that has been selected? I can't wait. Uh, so I like how you put my full name. But tonight we're going to uh, be enjoying an alien urine sample. Uh, to make this drink, you'll need a half an ounce of coconut rum. What are we drinking? Melon liqueur, banana liqueur, blue carousel, <laughs> peach snaps, along with two ounces of sweet and sour, and a splash of uh, Sprite or soda water. The full recipe is available on our website. This drink looks like fruit striped gum, dude. It has everything it tastes- that I love. There's a lot of, there's a lot of liqueurs. Yeah. yeah. This is oh, a everything you love, banana? Banana? Banana is amazing. This is a brand new 99 bananas is amazing. There are only three or four things in this world that I loathe. Loathe to, to the core. And one of those things is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S, bananas. as a banana one day to a Halloween party. Well, you should do that. You know, every time me and, me and Eddie go play golf, you know what he fucking brings to eat for fucking breakfast in my fucking car? Right in front of him, too. I'm guessing an apple. Fucking oh, banana. God. Every so fucking he doesn't coming. bring. He doesn't bring an AUS with him? What is it? An, an alien urine sample? Alien urine sample. No, he we brings have... a fucking banana. It's disgusting. This is also could be known as alien piss. So if oh, you can't yeah. find alien urine sample, just type in alien piss. Or just go to our website. Yeah. So, bro, let me ask you something. Like, M. Night... Is he one of your favorite directors? I mean, because this is for the month for January for focus on directors. And tell me about why M. Night, yo. Why? Yeah, why, what's his movies about, man? You can't – why not? I mean, there was a time where he was just knocking them out just one after another. You just felt like, okay, it's, Sixth Sense was in the 1999. And then uh, – Unbreakable. Signs was 2000 uh, – Unbreakable. Signs, 2000, uh, 2002. Village was, I think, 2000 around there too i mean it, it felt like all of two, the early 2000s was just him making these suspenseful it was a different type of horror movie like it wasn't even horror it was like a different type of scary movie that it was it just opened up the doors to different type of uh you know being scared in a different way it didn't have to be a guy with a knife running after you or a person coming out of a tv it was a different type of scary i thought and it was kind of cool yeah so for me m night Shyamalan for years and years and years and for those early 2000s um, he was like my my go to director. I I had his back, and when everybody was kind of like, ah, he's not that good, and a lot of people talk shit on the village, which I, I disagree with. To me, the village is is his best film. I, I love the village. I'll defend the village someday. We'll review the village. Um, but my problem is I I no longer feel that way. Right. I I think after watching a couple of the the just the downfall of of Shyamalan, and it really hit its core with with the <laughs> happening. The happening you can't sit there and say the happening is good. But Eddie, what I wanted to say is is kind of what you were saying is that he, what he does is he takes B movie concepts and he elevates it to an A movie level. And I think that that was something that was unique. And I think he did it really well. I think his ego got away with him too much and he tried to 
Um, we just relied on on things Great. way too much. But that said, those movies that we talked about, um, you know, Unbreakable, Sixth Sense, this one, The Village, all of these are are fucking classic, iconic movies that I I don't think that they've really been matched in this kind of horror ish um, genre. Wouldn't you kind of sync it up like as today as the you know Jordan Pill of like Get Out, Us, Nope. You know, kind of the same thing where like he has the M Night thing where oh I I can't wait to see what this next film is going to be like. You know, yeah. Well, so I I don't agree with I don't agree with Brandon and I, and I partially agree with with Jeremiah. I think that M Night Shyamalan did something for a film that hadn't been really done in a long time, and he scared the shit out of you without terr- terrifying you with graphic horror, graphic you know. Um, you know, the screams and the monsters and that it was more psychological yeah. thrillers, more like, you know, the thing we're going to do in a couple of, a uh, couple of weeks. Um, it, it was more psychological based. And I think that he did it absolutely fucking brilliantly. And I think what happened was, is that his shtick, his, his film methodology got predictable yeah. and it got predictable because he was unpredictable. His unpredictability became predictable and it became boring. And so when he does a film, 20 years later, like split and doesn't put his name on it. Nobody fucking knows it's M. Night Shyamalan. And then all of a sudden you've got this big fucking twist at the end. You're like, oh shit. Now I see that it's M. Night Shyamalan. So when he hides himself, he still has the magic. It's just that every time you see M. Night Shyamalan, you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be the same big well, twist. Have, the have you seen the happening? And have you seen the happening? The happening is, is yeah, a bad the happening, movie. But the happening is it, it suffered. Okay, so he made a bad movie. I mean, Spielberg made BFG. Don't let's not <laughs> no, really no, pretend that the director can't make a bad movie. The thing is, we're talking about, well, we're talking about five or six movies in, in a row of just not quality. One director, so one film makes a director. Four films, five films makes a legacy. This guy has a legacy of five or six films. Yeah, he had a, a couple of bad ones in the middle. But I think, once again, they suffered from him trying to get out of the fact that his name is M. Night Shyamalan. And I, I really do believe that. I think that his name and his predictability got in the way of him and his ego, got in the way of him producing good movies. But then to come back, to come back with something like Split, I don't know if you've seen Split, but it's like it's oh, yeah. brilliant. It's a brilliant. That, that's film. like five movies later, you know. We're talking about like the recent movies that came out, like the one that came out a couple of years ago. Old. I mean, yeah. it was just lazy, you know. It was just like there's a part of him that we miss, and there's a part that you know we all have to agree. It's not the same M Night that we've actually been talking about, you know. It's not the same yeah. M Night that we've grown up with regards to the movies. That's all. Yeah. So science. That's like every. I, and, that's like every director, yeah. though. But but so here and here's the thing. This was at his peak. So let's talk yeah. about this film as from the lens that he was at his peak. He had just come out with probably one of the greatest shock reveals of all time. I would say equivalent to the you know something like Psycho or something like um, uh, you know uh, not Vertigo. Yeah, Vertigo. Vertigo had a pretty good twist. There's been some great twists in movies, right? Now, this this had this a great fucking yeah. like Hitchcocky and yeah. twist. The opening credits had that Hitchcock vibe. I love yes. the score in the opening credits. It, it's so creepy and it has like it reminds you of Psycho in a way, you know. And it's so fucking gorgeous, man. But this whole movie, I think, can almost be looked at as kind of an an homage to Hitchcock. I feel like everything about it has that, you know, it reminds me of the birds. It reminds me of Psycho. It reminds me of this slow burn that's really all about the mental characters or the character's mentality 
within the situation. I think that this movie is brilliant for that reason. Um, and yeah, the beginning, that's, that's my first note in my, my little notepad here is that the music at the start is so Hitchcockian and it's so brilliant and it's so jarring and you get that throughout the whole movie. Um, so yeah. Well, I think the movie's jarring. I think the movie's hard to watch. Um, I think that Mel Gibson with his so lack of emotion and then all of a sudden his explosion at the dinner table, which we'll get to, his his slow burn of that character, I think Meryl's apathy and his slow burn, the only people who show any emotions are essentially the children. And I think they're acted just beautifully and, and wonderfully by Abigail Breslin and, and Culkin. But at the end of the day, what this movie gives you, as opposed to something like M.I. Shyamalan where you had Sixth Sense, where you had Haley Joe Osment just shine as an actor and just kind of be the linchpin of that movie – this was about the story and about showing you what would happen in a War of the Worlds type situation, alien invasion, but keeping the story tiny, keeping the story family centric. What would happen to this one farmer on his farm if the aliens invaded? Yeah. That's a that's pretty interesting little perspective. Yeah. There's also this movie, I feel like it brought out awesome angles of of filming that I I don't remember seeing yeah. movies like this I like the the angles that he caught angles from I mean we're I'm, I'm jumping way with the whole fight scene between Merle and the alien but even all the way back capturing the moment at a different angle and then like he just brought it through a different lens that I'd never remember seeing movies like yeah. this like seeing those type of angles I just thought it was pretty beautiful the movie with the filming yeah I actually really enjoy. Mel Gibson's character and actually Joaquin Phoenix's character in this movie because there's a little bit of, of an arc to it. You know, you see a man that lost his faith and you see a other person that doesn't know where his place is at, but you kind of get an idea with the story. I know there's not one star that comes out of it or anything like that, but the, the focus on this is family. And you can see like when they're actually together and they're connected together, they become one. Like that whole situation with the signal, with the walkie talkie and everything like that. The only way that actually signal gets clear is because they actually come together as they're connected with each other to make that signal clear. And I really love that part of the movie where it's like your question about faith, your question about, you know, do you believe in miracles or do you believe in, you know, coincidence and things like that? You know, I, I think I think they were really good on that. Yeah. There were three Mel Gibson moments that I thought were just fucking like Academy Award winning Mel Gibson. If he hadn't, if he hadn't been such like a perceived shithole in the in real life, I think you know it would have been different. Um, when he's in the corn by himself and he goes out into the corn with just his just his, uh, Flash his flashlight, it's, it's one of those old fashioned flashlights, and he he stands up to the kids or whoever's making the crop circle that. And then getting back into the house, and that whole scene was just a masterclass in yeah. acting. And then you've got the table scene where he, you know, he's made all these favorite foods for all these kid, all his family. And then you've got the scene on the couch where uh, Joaquin Phoenix asks him, you know, can you be, can, you know, what kind of person are you? Or, or there are two types of people in the world. And those three scenes are what cinema was made to 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 capture. And there is no one better to capture them on side angles, not even frontals, just odd little quirks that M. Night Shyamalan yeah. has. I think those are so 
if I was to rate scenes, those would be in the top hundred scenes of all fucking time. Like those yeah. are just phenomenal. Yeah, so scenes. I, I want to no, 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 that's right, good. Right. I uh, I want to kind of jump off of Jer and then Sean, what you're saying that we're talking about the relationship between the two of them. And I think that there's very few pairings of siblings, you know, sibling characters in film that work as effectively as Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix in this movie. And it's two scenes, two scenes. Mm -hmm. Sean, you mentioned the one, the scene where they're sitting on the couch. And I remember sitting in a theater and just being gripped, not by aliens, not by, you know, horror aspects, but this family Mm -hmm. drama, this internal drama, this wrestling with who the hell am I and what the hell is really going on in this world. That scene is absolute perfection. And then the other one, and Jared's kind of talking about what you were saying is when Meryl steps up to Graham in, in the basement and basically says, don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever show that, uh, that weakness again. Don't ever see that. that. I don't want to ever see see that. Yeah, that was perfection. But I just want to throw out one more since we're talking about Mel Gibson. Um, Sean, I think you missed one of his best, most beautiful scenes that he's ever acted in. And it's ever been shot by M. Night Shyamalan. And that's when, uh, he's holding uh, McCulkin's um, whatever. What's the, what's the boy's name? I can't remember. He's holding his son, and he his says, name is Morgan. Just not yet, right? He says, "Not yet." And then you got them breathing together. That scene is absolute perfection. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Okay, so I'm... I'm going to add yeah. one more. I'm going to add one more. And it's actually with M. Night Shyamalan when he's in the That's car. That's the one, dude. And, yeah. And, and he apologizes for uh, – I think he apologizes for stealing stealing his faith. Um, not, not making him question his faith, but I think he says stealing your faith. And when Mel Gibson reacts, it's not apologetic. It's anger. I want to fucking reach yeah. across his car and kill you, yeah. but I'm not going to. Like he almost goes to Braveheart, <laughs> and it was just before. Like he's gonna go fucking yeah. Braveheart on him. <laughs> Am I not merciful? Oh, wrong, wrong movie. Anyway. <laughs> so there's there's two times where he's talking with Morgan, right? Where you know, he's breathing with him. Both times Morgan. when you know he needed yeah. his inhaler and he's breathing with him, and then at the t- same time when he got you know he took him outside trying yes. to epipen in him. And he's talking to him as well. There's two different times with him that was beautiful. But I also like the scene. The My favorite part, uh, Sean, you might have said this. I don't know if you said it or not. But my favorite part with Mel Gibson in this movie was when uh, Joaquin Phoenix is pounding the, the boards up with the windows. And he's bringing both kids with the, of the story. Oh, the yeah. Board, God, yeah. And the, the beautiful moments with him talking to like, hey, Bo, come here. Did you did mom ever tell you about when you were born that you you smiled and angel and the nurses said angels, you know, oh, that's an angel. Baby. I got goosebumps like, literally right now. Born. He like special moments to both his kids. Like he knew, he almost felt the presence of him. Yeah. Like he, like, he was a great, talker in this movie like he was a you can almost he was a pastor in this yeah. movie you got the film well and, and i think that's what's so disarming about the film is that a pastor specifically a you know i'm assuming he's 
he's some sort of a Methodist or some sort of a Baptist only because he's got children and so on and so forth. Um, but he wears the collar. So he's, he's so Episcopalian there. He's a yeah. holy man trying to Episcopalian, probably a, mm-hmm. a, a holy man whose sole goal in life is to calm and explain. And the fact that he can calm and explain the people around to him what's going on, but doesn't fucking believe it is the most unsettling. It's the most unsettling feeling you probably have in a film. That's what you kind of get in the beginning of the film when you see him coming out of the bedroom and you see kind of like a cross, but you don't see the cross. You see kind of the shadow mm. and whatnot. So you know right there something's up. You know that somewhere there's something lost in in this man searching for something because he is searching for something. He's searching for his kids. He doesn't know, but he just knows something's happening. But what's really good about this film, guys, that I want to talk about, um, I love horror movies. I hate jump scares. They ruin the fucking horror movie, you know, where they just focus on the music to make you get jump scared. What's really cool about this movie here is that they don't rely on shit like that, where they just rely on the texture of the film. The birthday you scene. see something. The birthday scene. No, not the birthday scene. So no, no, scene. The guy on the roof, too. The guy on the roof. No, yeah. I'm talking about, seriously, in the cornfield, there's no music. That yeah. scares the shit of me. Yeah. Or the pantry. Yeah. There's no music. It's so yeah. fucking tense. And M. Night does it really fucking awesome in this movie, dude. Like, yeah. it was terrifying watching I'll give you that, Jerry. He, yes. he draws you yes. in. He draws you in. And, and one of the things that he does beautifully is he actually hides the scare in plain yeah. sight. So the, the, there's three, three instances. First is when he's in the cornfield and he's got the, um, uh, the, the flashlight and he's trying to get it to work. And the the calf or or the leg of the alien is actually sticking out of the cornfield, and it's there. You can pause the movie and see it in full plane, but it doesn't freak you out until it moves. And he does the same thing with the fucking kids in the videotape birthday party. online, the birthday party. Oh uh, yeah, and then he does it. I think one more time um, in the TV screen where he's rolling in the TV yeah. at the end of the movie. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's, it's not a, it's not scary. It's almost not scary because you is jumping out at you. It's scary because it's always been there and you didn't fucking see it. And I think that right there is why he is such a brilliant director. Tell me about this. Don't you think that's probably the scariest scene, you know, where you've seen Joaquin's Phoenix reaction. I mean, don't you think that's like one of the scariest fucking moments? (laughs) It's one. It's, it's a funny scene from Walking Phoenix too, because he's like, "Move, kids! Move, kids! Get out of the way!" <laughs> like being able to actually see that and the the, the frightening that the kids' faces of like you know you know something's on this video. It's, it's a recording, so the news is like, "Be you know, be alert! It's you're gonna see something scary here." And you, like what Sean was saying, if you pause the video before he comes out, you can see part of his body kind of sticking out a little bit, and then he comes out and he moves, he crosses path. That was a freaky moment, like. Everyone just like jaw dropping, like oh my god! Like it was so so simple. Yeah, it's been twenty years and it still makes you fucking jump. And I don't know if the timing is off on that. I don't know what he did, but that scene gets me every fucking time I watch it. Every time I'm like, okay, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and then I like I either guess too early or too late, and it it just. Freaks me out every time. Every time. <laughs> you got to give praise for Joaquin Phoenix's uh, performance on that because he sells it. You're fucking scared because he he's fucking scared. And he does he, he, he does it so well in that fucking scene. I think that that, that scene is, is rated the, the scariest scene in cinema. 
that that scene. It's or, one, you know, it's one of the many, top there's ten, millions of different top ten, yeah, yeah top ten scares. Um, and I mean, that's up there with with Jaws, and that's up there with I mean, you name it for for good horror movies like Jaws and terrible horror movies like Halloween. Right, that's right there in the top the top ten. And I think that like I can remember sitting in a theater this, and this, I this. I cleared the fucking back of the seat i jumped so high i was i was terrified in the theater and you're right sean it still gets me to this day i'm watching it you know two days ago or whatever and i know what's coming i've seen this movie i don't know a good probably eight times and it still gets me And i think that that is like you said that's a mark of a great great film yes and you at this time it was 2002 right so i was in high school watching this so I remember you, there was no – in the movie theater, there was no way to replay what you just watched. So you start tricking yourself in your mind. It's like, did I, just, did I just fucking see that? That that person was on the roof, right? Like there was a monster outside Bo's room. He's on. He's standing on the freaking roof right there. And you know that was the first time you get to see him, right? And then he, they run outside. Him and Joaquin Phoenix run outside. Oh, we're going to scare these kids you know, out of there. And it's, but it, it's just moments like that. You, you can't replay it so – Luckily now, if you know this day and age of technology, you can actually pause it. But still, it gets you every time, like Sean was saying. I know it's coming, and it still gets me. One thing that I really like about this movie, especially coming off of two uber serious movies in The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, which to me are two of the greatest movies out there. I know I have lots of greatest movies, but those are just two of my favorite movies. But you come here, and you 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 know. We're talking about Shyamalan earlier about how he kind of fits, he kind of fit himself into a mold and, and dug himself into a ditch. Um, but what I love about this movie is that he brings in humor at the most weird, strange times. And the humor isn't always like normal humor. But Eddie, talking about the scene where they're running out around the the, the, the house trying to scare <laughs> off the brothers. Just, and just, he's like, just, just, yeah, just curse. Scream, he, just scream. Yeah, he curse. Well, I, I don't know how to curse. And he just say, just say something. Just <laughs> yell, go up. And I'm going to, yeah. And, curse me. and he's yelling. And then he's finally like, I'm going to, I'm going to beat your ass, bitch, or something like that. And, he, and then, you know, the one thing when they come back together is I curse. That's the only thing that he yeah. talks about. Not that I didn't see anybody or anything like that. But to me, <laughs> what it does is it grounds these characters in a realism. It's not soap opera uh, mm-hmm. melodramatic that it, it makes these characters relatable in so many ways. You know, uh, you know, my wife makes fun of me for liking the movie because uh, all she can remember from it is the tinfoil hats. And she's like, that's just a stupid movie. But to me, I remember laughing my ass off in the theater and every other time I watch this movie, when that scene comes on, because it lightens the mood just long enough for the tension to build back up and, and talk about pacing. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I still, oh, I yeah. still will, will happily stand by Shyamalan's early days. I, I hands down, he was to me, one of the brightest future directors out there. Yeah. There's a couple of times where he subverted expectations with some comedy. One of my favorites is when, uh, Phoenix, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Carrie uh, Merrill has the TV in the, in yeah. the closet. And he goes, the kids wouldn't stop watching it. And, and, and they're getting addicted to yeah. it. And it's like, buddy, Hey buddy. Yeah. Or Tracy, <laughs> Tracy Abernathy or whatever. Um, yeah. With with douchebag. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was the that was the pharmacy. Yeah, the pharmacy. pharmacy. No, no, no. that was the the story of the throw up in the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He believes in miracles because he didn't get thrown up. Yeah. So so I know Brandon, tell me I I have a question Mm -hmm. for you. I know you're all about character development. And I feel like this movie, it, it very in a very short period of time, you could you got the feeling of you know what Mel Gibson's going through, you know the brother Joaquin Phoenix, he moved in with his brother, he's an ex baseball mm-hmm. player, he couldn't make it in the Mario leads, and then the, the the there's only a few characters, but instantly you get 
this depth of the character yeah. so quickly at those. Yeah, and, Can you tell, what you think yeah well, that? I mean, to me, you, you said it exactly right, right? There's no exposition dump. We just get thrown into this character's or these characters' lives. And I feel like it's done so naturally and so organically that we feel not like we're watching people, but what, like we, we know the people. And I know we talk about that all the time, but you know, these, these characters feel like real people. They feel like people we know, they feel like friends. But what I think is more, even more amazing Ed, is that in an hour and 45 minutes, we've seen this revolution, this complete 180 degree change in a character. And we're not talking about just like, Oh, he went from a shitty person to a good person like Ebenezer Scrooge. We're talking about somebody who has lost faith that he had so strongly and then watched him build it back around and not not build it back around for some stupid reason but like that moment when he's out on the the lawn and uh his son says did somebody save me and he says i think somebody saved you like that moment i literally just seem giving myself goosebumps because of the character development is so beautifully done and it's so you know like i said it's so smooth you can watch it happen when we look back at this movie we've seen this movie so many times but it's really interesting to see this movie when you watch it again it's like almost sometimes you're watching it in a different way like for example like watching the scene with hannah and the scene pops up where the girl comes up to the father and goes there's a monster inside my room can i have a glass of water just think about that there's a monster outside my room can i have a glass of water it almost tells you that's how i can defeat the fucking alien when you think about it yeah. It's almost like, was she fucking psyched in this movie? Well, they, they all do. Yeah, but you see, she thought that her brother was going to die, right? Right. She already knew how to defeat the alien when it comes yeah. to it. But but if you look at this film, if you look at this film from kind of a different different perspectives, the first thing you see is kind of what, what Brandon was saying earlier. The c- characters are super recognizable. They're super relatable. It's because this is the American dream. It's an American family trapped out on a farm in the middle of what, Pennsylvania mm-hmm. or what, Pennsylvania, a uh, minister, good family man, raising his kids who tragedy has happened to. And then the aliens are attacking that idea. Not just that idea of this idyllic American family is that you have a character in Mel Gibson who is desperate to look for something that isn't there. He's looking for signs, not the signs in the cornfield, but he's looking for some reason to get back to faith. And his wife, supernaturally or ironically or however you want, he she leads him back from the grave, which I thought that whole sequence yeah. was executed beautifully. Not to show what happened to her all at once, but just to do it in little segments along the way. Yeah. And to have that final segment. Oh, my God. But he leads her – she leads him back to faith – through this idea of crazy signs. Now think about this. How desperate does Mel Gibson have to be to get back to faith, to hear what she said and implement it in the story, right? It's you, you think it like, oh, it's, it's this quirky tie where the water killed the aliens and swing away Meryl and, and, you know, just breathe or whatever, whatever she says. To these. these are generalistic things that have been, put into the story to 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 not to advance the plot but to show how desperate he was to make those connections and force them together because swing away Merrill 
Who, who wouldn't have reached for the bat and killed the fucking alien? But he saw, he read into those words, and that brought him back to faith because he was desperate to become once what he what he had lost. I think that's I think that's what I get from this. Story. There are so many full circles to this story regarding to their arcs and everything like that. Mel Gibson's character Graham has an arc. Merle has an arc. You know, just like Merle, like you know, he doesn't. He wants to be out of that farm, but he doesn't know why he's still there. Everyone has their own story. They're everyone's trying to find themselves. Actually, Merle and and uh, uh, Mel Gibson's character, they both are lost, but they find they find themselves again. They find faith. They find what they've been missing this whole time. Even the the the, the relationship between. Morgan and Bo was beautiful. You were talking about uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Mel Gibson, but there's double relationships here. You see so much of an older brother protecting his little sister. And then Bo says, Bo has this like something feeling of like, I don't want you to die, Morgan. And Morgan's like, me die? I'm not going anywhere. But she's already feel She has something she's feeling. You look back at this movie and it's like, oh shit, like she has a big little moments here and there. Of, of feeling stuff and then, you know, dealing with, and then Morgan protecting his sister against the dog. Sad for the dog, but it was just you know, like, that's tough to watch. And, but for Morgan to have to deal with that, that was intense for a little boy to have to kill his dog in order to protect his sister. Yeah. No, I think Old that something we need to there. talk. Yeah. Something we need to talk about. And I've, I've thought this for years and years is that I don't think that there is a director out there who can get such beautiful performances from young actors as M. Night Shyamalan. You look at Haley Joel Osment in Sixth Sense. Chris Columbus, yeah. Uh, well, uh, me and Chris Columbus don't like each other. Um, but, you know, you look at you look at Haley Joel Osment, you look at these two, Pitch Perfect. Then you look at Unbreakable, and it's a little bit older kid, but at the same time, that performance by that kid, emotion from these kids, and you just don't know where it's coming from, but it's so fucking genuine. I love, love, love what he does with these characters. I, I want to go back. I want to go back. I agree with you 100%, Brandon, but I kind of want to go back and get your guys' uh, opinion. Do, do you think that this movie is supernatural and just that simple that the, the mother told them what to do and that he remembered it and they did it? Oh, like, is that, no, is that no. just the simplicity? No, here, here, no. Or, or is it something No, here, well, here's what, to me, this is what the movie is about. And this is something I saw even clearer yesterday or the day before when I watched this because uh, I was looking for, you know, for more analytical things is this is a movie about fate. Uh, 100% hands down that everything happens for a reason and that, uh, I mean, you, you go down to the list. I mean, one thing that I think a lot of people kind of overlook is the book that they kind of judge their understanding of the aliens by came in by accident, right? She's like, oh, this came in a shipment by accident, but I think it's over in this, this area. You have absolutely everything happening for a specific purpose. This to me is not an alien movie. This isn't a supernatural movie in the, in the alien sense or the extraterrestrial sense. This is very much a supernatural movie about uh, spirituality and about existentialism and about, honestly, it's about God is what it's about. It's a faith-based movie uh, shrouded in, um, you know, a Halloween mask of a scary movie. It, it's not about aliens at all. It's about faith and it's about fate and it's about trusting in the shit that happens because there is some purpose to it. Um, and I know that that can make this movie uh, even divisive for some people, but I think even if you don't really have that that kind of faith, there's still this concept that we want to know that things will be okay because, well, that's how they're supposed to be, that, that there is enough good in this world that, that it outweighs the bad. I mean, the middle part of that movie where like 
Mel Gibson's talking to Joaquin Phoenix on the couch, and, he, and the movie's pretty much about it. I mean, it states that are you a person about coincidence or not a coincidence? Do you believe in coincidence or do you see it in the type of way? And he literally tells us, like, you know, what this movie's about and what we're thinking about. There's two types of people, you know, in the world. And it, it comes full circle in this movie, you know? I mean, it's about chances. It's about, like, you know, you know, does things kind of lined up or is this more of a power purpose, you know? It's just yeah. like, the moment where, like, in The Wife, I believe he tells Mel Gibson's character, see, mm-hmm. open your eyes in a way, see right. what's going on, see around, you know? And I think that's just the kind of the message of the whole movie and everything like that, you know? It's funny, it's funny what you watch when you're little and then what you see now, you're like, you see a whole fucking different movie, you know? Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. Well, and that's, yeah, that, that's kind of what I was getting at is that, you know, it's very easy to watch this movie and think, oh, the aliens invaded, it was very coincidental that the dead mother you know predicted what was going to happen abigail breslin you know basically had the death of the of the aliens through water you know blah blah blah. it's very easy to take that surface level approach mm-hmm. but it's also i think very important for us to see the movie and to look at it from a different perspective yeah. and say you know what what is he trying to tell us you know is there's this there's a wonderful phrase called the magic of ordinary days, right? It's the magic of ordinary things that it's what you put into them that create your perception and your worldview. And I think that this is what it is. This is what the movie is about: is either regaining a worldview or gaining a new worldview by having faith in the everyday things. I think that that's a really cool perspective to have from a movie. You know, that's full of kind of jump scares and is that night shovel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, Eddie, go ahead. So, just piggybacking off of what everyone's saying about what, how they see this movie, if it is about just pure luck, something lucky, or you know, is it more than just coincidence? You know, like exactly that scene with Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix sitting on the couch. Hilarious ending with Joaquin Phoenix's like, she almost threw up in my mouth, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, I'm about miracles, right? Uh, and there is something up there uh, watching out for us. He does it so good. M. Night Shyamalan did something so good in this movie, all the way down to uh, the police officer telling uh, Morgan about, oh, you should use baby monitors, you know, as a, as, it's a one-way thing. So he starts to use it, and then he starts, and it actually benefits them together, you know, at the very end when they're trying to hear the aliens speak. Um, and then it talks about just, there's all these little moments, but I, I want to say, like, Everyone has a meaning and everyone has, you know, their life. Everyone has like, I'm real close to like what Brandon was saying was like, it, it's about fate and, and about faith, but everyone has a role in their life. And, you know, it's just like, you might not see it right now, but if, you know, in the long run at the very end, it, everyone plays a very important role in each other's lives without knowing it. I, you, all three of you play a very important role in my life, you know, but you, we don't see it until at the, at the end of the road. Um, go ahead. Uh, thank you, Brandon. Yeah. Oh, it was. I mean, look at the off chance. I mean, just just from a from a uh, you know, not not to dig too deep into things, but it was an off chance that brought Jeremy with me. Um, you know, it was just kind of like, hey, I have a room. Hey, I need a room. Look what has happened since that moment, that decision, that opportunity. All of a sudden, you know, I'm not saying I'm responsible. I'm just saying that look at <laughs> look at what's yeah. happened from that one decision. 
that one chance encounter I, has I, created. I, I, I met you, you guys know. together. I brought Jeremy to uh, your house and I introduced you guys. Right. So like little things. Yeah. Like, no, see, this is what happens. That Eddie's right. like, hey, um, you like Loss. Uh, my brother likes Loss as well. Um, <laughs> what a chance is that? <laughs> I mean, Loss brought us together. Did we just become his friends? <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I look at those little it makes things me think like, like you're right, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. Those little you know those little little flutterings of butterflies' wings. How how they alter our lives. Was, it's the that. butterfly effect too, right? It, it it something so small changed our future, right? So you're yeah, so that, that's a great Sean. movie. I love it. What you said. Yeah. That's yeah. a great movie. <laughs> oh my effect. god, I love that movie. We should do that movie. Director's <laughs> edition. That brings us to the end of review. Now it's time on the podcast where each of the hosts provides a score on the following scale. Eddie, can you provide the scale, please? Yes, I can. Let me I'm losing my, my voice. Uh, zero, the perfect movie. You don't need shit to enjoy it. One, a, a feel-good first cocktail. Two, a happy buzz. Uh, three, you're going to Uber or Lyft and home. Four, a rough morning watch of shame. Five, blackout, shit-faced spring break drunk. Gentlemen, uh, let's start with I'll go first, nice. and then I'll pass it along. Nice. Uh, so this is my favorite M Night Shyamalan movie. Um, it holds, it just holds time, you know, for me. Like it's a movie that I can just watch anytime. I was really excited to rewatch this movie through the eyes of uh, a parent now, um, and I think I, I saw it differently than I always saw myself as Joaquin Phoenix. You know, the ex-baseball player just swing away. I always thought that he was a great character. Still do. I think he. <laughs> just amazing how he stepped up to the plate the per, like every time he was there as a best uncle best brother he you know i get chills when the the morgan says i wish you're my dad and then watching the thing is stops morgan the track saying you don't ever say that again like he's a good uncle man um it just it, i just get chills with that but then i see myself you know as the parent now and i i would do anything for my kids uh and i just know like my brother's there to back me up if I ever needed to, you know, just be there. And you guys are there for me. But this this brings a lot of faith into. Uh, it helps me with my faith. You know, it's just like you know what. I don't know where I would be if anything ever happened to my wife. I could be just like you know Mel Gibson here. Like it, it would hurt hard if anything ever happened. I, I'm gonna be real. Like you know, it's you know just. I'll be able, I'll be struggling. So to see this in a different lens, like I understand Mel Gibson, what he was going through here. Like he, it hurt. Like he was in pain. He, 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 he stepped away from being a pastor for six months, but it was still, he's still being a pastor at the same time through the city and through in his family. I, I feel like it's a very great movie that I enjoy to watch. I think it's, it's a, it's a movie you can watch any time of the year, not just during the Halloween season. It's, it's, I think Brandon said a great, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's pretending to be like a Halloween movie, but underneath there's so many different layers of this. There's a, this is a movie of many different layers. Uh, for me, this is a one I'm going to do. This is a field your first cocktail. I like this movie. It's way better than the average movie for me. Uh, and the only trouble I have with this movie is uh, I can, I, you know, instantly with a thought like uh, aliens right off the very beginning. I don't know why it took so long. See cornmeal like that. We're getting out of this town, bro. We're going out. Well, I'm not staying at my house. Let's go, <laughs> go to the yes. lake. <laughs> yeah, well, let's go to the lake. Uh, Sean, you. Uh, 
Um, I was not looking forward to watching this movie. I was um, a little afraid of it. I remember it being scary. I remember the jump scares. I remember the... I, I, I don't like being scared. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I, there, I vaguely remember a lot of it. And as I started to watch the movie, and as I started to remember some of the plot points, um, I was able to kind of settle in and enjoy what I think is probably four uh, of the best solid performances. No single bad performance, except maybe M. Night Shyamalan himself. Um, there, this movie had four pristine, pristine. I'm not talking. I mean, not 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 just perfect, pristine uh, uh, performances. I thought that the fact that Joaquin Phoenix won for Gladiator and not this surprised me. Because Gladiator, while he was good and big and robust, this movie had subtlety. And he was subtle. And he played that role so wonderfully. He made you believe that he was both an adult and a child. He made you believe that he was terrified of what was to come and brave enough to stand in front of it. I, I thought it was just a, a, a beautiful, real raw performance. I thought Mel Gibson in first watching the movie was boring and stoic. And I realized in on, on watching it the second or third, whatever, how many times I watched it now, um, he was not stoic. He was broken. He was a broken man trying to hold his life together in a in in a in a way that he didn't believe in anymore, uh, he didn't believe in prayer. He didn't believe in God, and he's trying to hold it together based on when you lose those things. What else is there? It was beautiful. It was an absolutely beautiful performance. When he's at the table and he tells you know he explodes on on you know eat eat. We this is we're we're eating. This is what we're doing. I'm not spending another he's minute so, on prayer. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. It, he's so it's so real and raw. Um, Abigail Breslin was just magnificent. All hit the right tones, and Culkin was, uh, you know, was really really wonderful as well. So I'm tempted to give this movie less than a one, but the reality is, I think that it is harmed by time and by some shots that feel a little old and a little clunky. Um, so I'm going to give it a one, but I'm tempted to give this less than a one. One's a good score. Yeah, it is a good score. What, what is it? Uber lifting home? That's this. No, feel good first cocktail. Yeah, Excuse me. Feel good first cocktail. Uh, Jer- uh, Jeremiah, go ahead. I think that, <clears throat> I'm sorry guys. Um, I think this is a, a very interesting and wonderful different take of War of the Worlds. Um, I like it. It feels like it took that element and used it as a focus on family during a, a crisis of an invasion or something like that. And I love how the idea of that came about. Um, the Village from M. Night is like is, is my favorite movie from M. Night. It's science. I could watch it any other day. I, I, I love it. I, I, I love the suspense. I love how it puts tension during the scenes that you feel all the time. I think all the actors were on their A game. Uh, the music itself, I mean, it was just another character on its own. I know it's kind of cliche to say that. The music sets the film so perfectly, and I love that. The only problem I have was just that, which I love that they didn't show the alien that much in the movie. It was like, like what, 15 seconds in the movie? But when the movie came out with the alien, it just seemed like it was not that much, like, you know, terrifying in a way, you know? But that's just because of time and everything like that. It's not going to hold up 20 years now, but the story itself holds up. 
And I and I think this is one of those movies that you need to catch very soon. It's on uh, HBO Max. Watch it. Hopefully the new movie that comes out later on this month for M. Night does the same thing, you know, where it gets back to the same root of that. So this is a 1.75 for me, guys. I really love this movie. And you know what? It's just it's one of those movies that I can watch anytime. So that's that's my vote. Nice. So I guess I'll <clears throat> round us out. So um, this is a movie that uh, that means a lot to me in, in a in a weird way. Um, so I know I've mentioned it before, but I had always wanted to be a, f- a filmmaker. Um, this movie came out when I was uh, I think it was my senior year of, of high school. Eddie would have been our senior years of high school, I think, somewhere around there. Um, uh, and I remember watching uh, s- several scenes. There were a couple movies that I would watch scenes and I'd study scenes. And I'd want to write scenes and direct scenes like that. Uh, one was from Gladiator. We talked about that one before, but it's the it's the Proximo scene. Um, one was the scene from uh, Two Towers, Lord of the Rings, where you have um, <clears throat> well, I can't think of his name right now, but he's he's giving this the 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 speech right before the Battle of Helm's Deep. Where was the Where was the horse yes. and the rider? Where was the Yeah. yeah. So so Sean the, wrote that, that, by the those way. scenes. There were two scenes. Yeah, there were two scenes from this movie that I would watch, and I, I would, I would watch them. I would, I would skip the DVD just to those scenes, and I'd watch them over and over. And one of them was the scene when on the couch, and the other scene was the one, uh, the the dinner table scene, which we really didn't explore that much. And I remember thinking that this is the power of human emotion captured on film. And to me, that's something that you can't replicate. You can only just experience. Um, and you know, when we get to watch this movie, we get to experience it, uh, and several times over, like we mentioned, this movie is perfectly acted. I mean, if we're, if we're talking about acting, it's a zero, it's a negative. Um, because I feel like Sean, you mentioned it, that, that you got four stellar performances here that, that cannot be matched to me. The problem with this movie, and this is something I really didn't notice until watching it again for this, uh, this podcast is that the story in a lot of ways is just kind of silly, right? And not this, not the story of the people, not the story of the redemption. That's not silly. That's beautiful. That is perfect. That is also to me, a negative uh, score. It's such a, it's it, beyond zero. But when we look at the surrounding, right, it's, it's clunky, clunky it's just... and it's silly. And uh, you know, the scene that I, I remember being so terrified about, you know, years ago when I used to watch it over and over was the scene with a pantry and the hand that goes under and he cuts off the fingers. And to me, that scene is laughably bad. Um, the scene, I mean, M night Shyamalan is, is notorious for doing this. Shit lifts that happened ego. to you. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just talking about the way that it was filmed. It just was not, it was not filmed well. Um, you know, and M night Shyamalan has, he's got his ego and I, you know, I, I respect him, but at the same time, stay the fuck out of acting. You're not a good actor. And the way that he not only writes Ray's (laughs) character, but the way that he presents Ray's character, like it's almost like he took all the bad that could have happened in the movie and he condensed it down to one character that just, just, it spewed it terrible. And to me, these are things that take what could have been um, because I was wrestling. We we were talking about I'm like, what the fuck am I going to give this? To me, it it should be a point seven five. That's what I want to give it. Right. Because the the, everything kind of balances out. It's not a one point. It's not a point seven five. It is to me. uh, I'm going to go with uh, it's it's a one point two five for me. If we were doing the village, that's that's a near zero for me. I I think the village, like Jer said, that's that's it's almost. laughably perfect uh which i know we should get lots of comments please let me know how, how wrong you think i am well, but the village well, is beautiful we'll, we'll do we'll do the village yeah. too because because i remember i've only seen the village okay. once and uh i was so disappointed yeah. 
in the reveal that it, it just kind oh. of it, it <laughs> the took village is the beautiful. Movie. But I will say, yeah. like, if you if you look back, yeah. If, but if you look back through cinema, okay, and you're talking about perfectly acted scenes, mm-hmm. it has those moments where where it makes you reinvigorate it does. the film, and I, I do think that that's something to just just really and, and i just got i just got to throw this out there i wanted to i wanted to mention it earlier but um tak fujimoto is the the cinematographer of this and he did the village and he's done i think he's done all of uh Shyamalan's as well he's as done a other lot of ones. movies yeah um deacons to me is is a god um roger deacons is the god of cinematography but tak fujimoto is is right there he's the right hand of god i i think that he captures light and he captures contrasts and I don't think there's a movie that showcases his ability so much as signs does. So, I mean, this movie was a beautiful mm. film. It was like one of those movies where you take a still of any, you know, pause it and it's, it's a piece of art. Um, so I just want to give a shout out to tech Fujimoto for this, this brilliant, beautiful film. Ed, do you want to say something before we add the scores together? Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no, no, no. I was, I mean, it was just, uh, I was not talking about the score. I know we talked about it a little bit. I, I just I get goosebumps still to the very the very last scene where uh, Abigail runs out of the house and Bo you know Bo and you you wrap around her and you see the finishing scene with Joaquin Phoenix and this is where they already just found out that the water you know they're affected by water and it's just that scene was just beautiful and I think it goes to Brandon uh, the I don't know his name the that he just said but uh, it's like there's there's shots that I I, I just that's half the reason why I like this movie is just like it hits different angles. It takes a picture and then you can rotate it 360 degrees and see different angles of that same shot. And it's very beautiful when you see it like different in different lens and different eyes uh, angles. Well, isn't it interesting that, isn't it interesting? And I'm just, I'm just going to throw directors out there because that's kind of the genre we're in. Right. Mm -hmm. So how you can be affected by someone like, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, who has very subtle angles, very different different ways to capture, versus a Christopher Nolan who's bigger, versus a John Huston who's fucking huge. Everything is all the people on screen are small, and the screen, the sets, and the everything is huge. You have the way that different char- different directors capture these characters, not just cinematography, cinemat- use their cinematographers, but just the director's eye. I think that that's what you're seeing is it brings you in and it just makes you just, it makes you so happy that you sat through this, you know, this film. I don't know. It just, it I'm makes you want to make movies. It's an under, it's, <laughs> it's an underrated film. I honestly think, I think people forget about this movie a little bit. I think it, it, yeah. it's still underrated for me. It does not get the recognition like the other movies actually. You're right, bro. It doesn't. Everyone picks it. All right. When you take, <laughs> when you take those scores, and you divide by four. What does uh, signs get an average rating of? With a little bit of alien uh, urine sample, it gives us a one point two five. One point two five. Jeremiah, where does that put us on the movies uh, that we've already reviewed? It's in tied in fifteenth, man. So this is pretty cool. Look, look at this, fifteenth. You know, one point two five. It's in the same category as Alien, Elf, American Graffiti. That's fifteen. What's better than signs is Jaws. The Breakfast Club, Shining, Gladiator. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. <laughs> uh, as Sean would say, that's right where it should be. 
exactly where it needs to be. So, <laughs> uh, all right. If you have uh, enjoyed our review of Pat of the Podcast, we ask you please subscribe wherever you're listening. Give us a five star review on iTunes. Physical reviews on iTunes are the lifeblood of our rating system. It's how we move up in the uh, in the ratings. You can also find us on Instagram at the dot gentleman podcast. Uh, you can visit our uh, website at gentlemanpodcast.com to see that wonderful recipe. Um, you can also reach out to us by email at hosts with an S H O S T S at the gentleman podcast.com. As uh, we are in January and working our way through directors, uh, the director's section of our uh, season four, a uh, couple of opening episodes, we ask that you please tell five of your friends, your, your grandma, your grandma's friends, anyone in your life about our podcast. Let's see how we can grow this thing. Uh, over the course of 2023, uh, make it a New Year's resolution, if you will. We'd really like you to share and uh, be shared over the uh, over the airwaves. And we really appreciate you guys for listening. And uh, thank you so much. And we'll see you, um, uh, I guess, next week. Uh, Jeremiah, oh, yes. what do we have next week? Next week, QT. actually, we're going to go back to the 90s, man. And we're going to do a Brandon's pick because it would be weird to do two Aliens pick now that I think about it. We did. In a row. No, three alien movies okay, in a row. We're going non-aliens. We're gonna actually going to be doing a movie that defined the 90s. All I'm going to say is this. I love you, honey bunny. <laughs> I love you, pumpkin. All right, see you next right. week. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. That's that a really good one. one. That was a good one. one, yeah.